Hey, this is uh, Bill Farrell. We are uh, um, actually uh, episode 30 on Rock Bottom to Recovery, uh, our podcast. We are filming uh, live uh, from our new location, which is located up at the Holbrook High School, um, HKM. Uh, in the past episodes, we always filmed at another location. So we are in a new location. We're going to actually begin to um, actually make this really nice. This is actually kind of nice. nice. We've got a little table. We've got a nice red tablecloth and everything, so we're doing good. Our guest today is Sarah O'Brien. Um, Sarah's going to talk about um, addiction. Um, she's going to talk about her life. She's going to talk about um, motherhood, right? Two yep. daughters. And, um, you know, we're just going to have a conversation. But this is episode 30. We are on podca uh, Podbean and iTunes, so you can actually go on and listen to the um, uh, past episodes. So, and we are number 30. And um, I think that's pretty much it. We can get rolling. Right? Awesome. Hi, Sarah. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How Thank are you? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming. You're welcome. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so, Sarah is, um, if you, if you, what, what episode, I think we were two maybe, um, Liz. Yes. Liz, um, which is a friend of yours. Very good friend. Yeah, yeah, Liz was on. And so I think Liz, just so you know, I don't want, you know, I don't want to put any pressure on you. But I think Liz has over 7,000 views. I think about 5,000 of them are me. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> so, sorry, Liz. Um, but, um, yeah, so I think uh, Liz mentioned you. Mm -hmm. And then um, where did I? The fundraiser. The fundraiser, right? Yes. Uh, the Dennis Messing. The comedy uh, show, yeah. Yeah, the comedy night, which was uh, a great turnout. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So are you involved with them? I'm not. I've been going to a lot of the... Um, you know, the events and whatnot, and, yeah. like, you know, I, like, envy what they do. Yeah. You know, I saw, like, what they did for Liz and what they, like, have done for so many people that, yep. you know, like, I just like to be a part of it. You know, yeah. the atmosphere, everything that they do, it's, like, so, like, unbelievable that, you know, just even being there is, yeah. you know, It's important. good to be around, you know, people that get it and Absolutely. That understand. So, right. um, so let's, let's talk about you. So, sure. um, let's see, when did you get started with um, your so, addiction? My addiction started like early on in high school. Yeah. You know? What grade? So the opiates came in probably around freshman year. You know, I always like dibbled and dabbled like in drinking or like smoking marijuana and whatnot. Yep. But, um, you know, like in the big book when it says like I have arrived, like that first time like I took Oxycontin, I would think I was like 14 years old and I was standing in the backyard and I was with my brother and, um, you know, I had felt that feeling. Yeah. That feeling of like euphoria, that feeling of like relief. Yep. And, like, that was, like, always, like, the constant thing that, like, stuck out to me, like, throughout my using days. Yeah. Like, trying to, like, you know, hit that high once again. And right. it just never... It never happened. Never happened. What is the... Um, yeah, it's like, um, I heard somebody say um, the first time they used heroin or whatever, they, they spoke about that high. And then, um, and then heroin, you just used them yeah. the rest of the time. Absolutely. H how'd, you, how'd you get the oxys? So, um, you know, I grew up in Whitman and, um, you know, at the time it was like um, the early 2000s. Yeah. So it was like during that huge like Oxycontin craze. Yep. So like at this time in my life, like it was easier for like me and my friends to get Oxycontin than yep. it actually was to get alcohol. So like we'd go to, you know, Brockton or like we'd have, uh, I'd have friends whose brothers, you know, did it or sold it, a new way to get it. And it like just became like a fun thing. It yeah. was almost easier to get, to split between, you know, four people yep. than it was to actually, like, try to find someone to buy alcohol and, you know, hide the alcohol and hide the smell of the alcohol and crazy? drink and drive and, like, all these other things. Yeah. So. so it was very, it was easier to get oxys than it was alcohol. Yeah. Isn't that For crazy? Sure. And For look sure. at the, the damage now from that. I know. Um, so right around 14, you yep. did it in the backyard. Mm -hmm. So you have a pretty good memory there. Of, I do. Uh, yeah. I do. And uh, an incredible high. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happened from there? So, um, you know, from that point on, like, I continued. And, like, at this point, like, I no longer, like, felt, um, like, scared to try anything. You know, like, ecstasy or cocaine or, like, anything, like, that was thrown my way. Yeah. So you, you know, do anything that came your way. Anything that came my that, way. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I started, like, partying harder. And, like, you know, I was so, like, into sports. And I was so into, like, academics. And, like, yeah. those things, like, started to take a back seat. You know, it took a little bit longer because, like, I still, 
Um, like I wanted to be a good student and I wanted yeah. to be seen as like this athletic person and I wanted to like be the greatest like in basketball or like try my best in soccer and yeah. like, you know, still make my parents proud but like deep down like drugs are like taking a hold of my life. Little by little. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, the weekends turned into, you know, three days a week, three days a week turned into like four days a week and yeah. like all these other things. And then, um, you know, I was like granted the opportunity to like go to Ireland and play basketball, you know, my senior year. And um, I talk about that real quick. How'd that happen? So um, I played for Whitman Hanson and le and we actually we signed up for this. Um, I was like under 16, under 18. Yeah. So we went over there for a month and we lived like with the families and we played like the All-Ireland girls under 16. We played like the All-Ireland girls under 18. And it was like an amazing opportunity. It just yeah. like came up at the right time, yep. you know, like, and um, I was graduating high school and like at this point I had never like felt the effects really of like withdrawals yeah. or even like the mental like withdrawal because, you know, I kind of maintained like through. And if yeah. it wasn't the Oxycontin, like it was the marijuana, it was the ecstasy and like the cocaine, like I had something to like give me some relief. Yeah. And like when I went over to Ireland, like, like as sad as it is, like to this day, like I don't remember like, you know, any of it. Did you, know, you guys win? We won. Nice. Yeah. We won. <laughs> <laughs> so. so. But you don't remember. Somebody but told you remember. you won? Yeah. Yeah. So like the drinking came in and I started to feel like the effects of the withdrawal and like that mental obsession of like counting down the days. Yeah. You know, till I got home, till I could get off the plane and I could, you know, get high like once again, you know. Oh, that's crazy. I know. It's so crazy. It's crazy that you had like, so from 14 to when, when did you go to Ireland? What age? 18. 18. So in that time to yeah. be able to somewhat function, it sounds like. Yeah. You were still able to keep your grades up right. and everything? I was able to like graduate high school. I got into like all these great colleges and like, you know, all these, you know, I had all these like dreams and aspirations and like, yeah. you know, I saw my brother at this point and like he was like severely like struggling mm -hmm. and this was like the first time like addiction you know I had like witnessed it like affect a family and it was my family yeah you know it wasn't like talked about it wasn't like it was such like a taboo like you know we like all kept quiet yeah but like inside like you could see like the pain and suffering like everyone was going through right and like you know I used to look at him and be like I'm not as bad as him you know yeah. that's not that will never be me you know this yeah. is going to be a phase and like all these things that you know I think most kids like going through it like you know tell themselves in yeah. hopes that like that's the truth and like for me like it just wasn't and so when did it, when did it really, when did it turn? And so I got, um, I got into a, a bunch of colleges and I decided on Salve Regina because mm -hmm. like it was the closest, you know, I got into St. Anselm's and UNH and um, a couple others and I wanted to be like close to home, mm -hmm. you know, and at this time, like I'm stuck in that delusion of like, you know, I don't want to be away from my mom or I don't want to be away from my dad and you know, like deep down, it was like more about like I wanted to be around like my comfort zone, like yeah. the place that like I knew I could like get high, you know, Brockton. I wanted to be around like my parents who I knew would like give me money if I needed it and whatnot. So I went off to Salve Regina and like it was like a different world. You know, yeah. I was home every single weekend and like, you know, I really like I did well while I was there. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I held on like as long as I could. And yeah. like, you know, at the end of the semester, you know, it got to um, I was just I just had it. You know, like the traveling, the commuting to like get high and get what I needed. Like it was just too much. Yeah. So like I made the conscious decision to be like, you know, I don't want to live away from school. You know, I don't want to live away from home. I'm sorry. I don't want to live your, at school, you know. Yeah, that was your mind justifying <laughs> yeah. coming home. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who, I mean, what 18 year old that wants to live with their parents and they can live in like a college dorm. I know. You know. I know. So I moved home and, um, you know, I got into Simmons and. You know, from like that moment on, like I just, I couldn't function. Yeah. You know, I came home and like Oxycontin like took, like took the steering wheel. That's it. And you know, at like 19 and a half, like I stuck a needle in my arm, oh. you know? And how'd you get to the needle? So, you know, it was the people I was hanging around with and it was the Oxycontin was too expensive. It was now, um, you know, the pills were no longer like as accessible as right. they used to be and like little but slowly people were catching on to like you know like putting stops on like prescribing them or yep. putting stops on like the you know drug I mean I think the pain clinics and whatnot was still open but yeah. you know heroin was just easier it was right. like cheaper cheaper it yep. was easier it was it just seemed like the logical thing to do like as a drug addict yeah 
and like That's my crazy. life fell apart like instantly. Do you ever think um, you'd be sticking a needle in your arm? No, when you never. First started? Yeah. Never. Yeah. Like, you know, my parents like they they instilled like every value, like every moral in me, like the most hardworking, devoted, loving people. Yeah. Like, and I truly believe, like for me, you know, I think I I went to a point like of no return. You yeah. know, had something happened in the meantime, like a big consequence, or like you know an arrest, or maybe an overdose early on. Like who knows, like if I would have gotten to that point of no return. Yeah. But like I did. And then, you know, when that happened, like it was no longer like, you know, my brother was the drug addict yeah. or the junkie or whatever the case may be. And like now that was me. And I was worse and I was younger and I was a female. Yeah. And it was all these other things like wrapped into one. But And and, and you had you had a good childhood. A wonderful childhood. Yeah. You know? A Two loving parents who cared, who pushed yeah. you and did everything. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important to um, to stress because, you know, I think sometimes people tend to just think, oh, there's got to be some type of right. trauma or something. There has to be something there that got them to use. But I, I think, um, you know, like teenagers, everybody wants to experiment. Right. That's that's kind of the, right. the norm. And um, unfortunately, that generation that the Oxys were there and, yeah. um, you know, and it's just literally... Um, turned you into an addict. It's like, yeah, it's like wiped out like most of my generation. Yeah. I mean. What about your school? Do you have a lot of, um, like, in so, your graduating class, did you so have a lot of people? It's it's crazy because, like, me and my mom will talk about this a lot. And, like, so my younger brother, he's um, two years younger than me, and he yeah. doesn't use. Right. He His graduating class, like, he's still friends with all the guys that he graduated with, the girls he graduated with. Like, they were all in his wedding. Like, they're all, like, so successful, and they've lived great lives. They have great friendships. And, like, my class, it was different. You yeah. know, I have a lot of deaths in my class. I had a lot of, you know, a lot of drug use. And it... You know, I'm not really sure, like, why that is, but, you know, there, and there was many people I used drugs with, you know, yeah. heavily that never turned into drug addicts. You know, their parents found out or yeah. that they felt withdrawals for the first time and, like, they just, they decided, like, the drug use, like, wasn't worth, like, yeah. the consequences of the drug use and, like, I could never, like, comprehend the fact of, like, putting down drugs for any consequence. Right. So some people used and they were able to quit. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? So crazy. Like, why? <laughs> why is one person able just to quit? I know. And then, um, and then somebody else not. And right. so it's literally it's it's roulette, Russian roulette. Oh, for sure. With um, with drugs, and it's it's not worth it. Which is why we have this podcast, obviously, to try to educate, yeah. and bring awareness to people, and obviously, the stories, uh, people coming in talking about their experiences, are very powerful. So we hope that. Um, that has, um, you know, an effect on uh, people that watch this podcast. Um, do you think that, like, you're, with your brother, mm -hmm. um, maybe, uh, you ever talk to him about it? Like, maybe did their class see the effects that it was having on the grades above them? And So, uh, I, you know, from, like, my younger brother saw, like, not with just one sibling, but, like, two siblings. Yeah. And um, very, like proactive like when it came to like drug use you know yeah. he pottied in college and like he played baseball on the baseball <clears throat> team and he like was a great student he's a great student he's a hard worker like he's like a devoted son and like yeah. for him like he saw like what it had done to not only like me and my brother but like what it had done to like my mother and father because no longer like was I just like you know taken away like from my parents I was taken away from like him yeah you know they will leave in baseball games because like I needed to go to detox you know yeah. they were like hiding his bank books because I was stealing from his bank account right. you know like all these things that like you know especially like a youngest sibling any sibling shouldn't have to you know deal right. with when they're going through life and always like put to the back burner because like you know the drug addict in the family like takes, takes full reign yeah. of the family yeah yeah and you had two and I had two yeah yeah and so, um, <clears throat> so you said a lot of people have passed from the graduating class? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been, I mean, not only just like my high school. I mean, I'm sure you know, like, yeah. the amount, like, around my age that have right. passed. But yeah, like, no, I, I think, again, and I'm, uh, you know, when I looked it up in um, 20, well, 2018, 2017, it was like around 68,000 people had, not from uh, oxys, but drug overdoses. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, did you smoke? I, d 
I still smoke cigarettes. Oh, yeah. you still smoke cigarettes? Yeah. Did, is that what you started with? No. What did it you start wasn't. with? It wasn't. No. Your cigarettes didn't come until later? Yeah, they didn't wow. come until like the go. opiates came in. Wow. So it was, um, but you said you did a little drinking? Yeah, little... it was definitely like the alcohol and the, the weed. The alcohol. And that yeah. kind of like opened the door to like, I wouldn't say, you know, I was like, oh, I love the way this makes me feel. Let me try other things. Yeah. It was like, oh, weed didn't kill me. Like, yeah. <laughs> ecstasy maybe won't kill me, yeah. you know? And then it was just like, it was no longer I had a fear of trying things. Yeah. Well, you know? And I was curious to see what, like, the next one would bring to the table. Yeah. You know? And so, um, so how long have you been smoking for? Um, I've been smoking for probably, like, 13 years Ooh, now. I used to smoke, too. It's a horrible habit. It's, it's yeah. a horrible habit. Yeah. Um, I think somebody said cigarettes is the hardest thing to kick. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. And I think people don't get enough credit for quitting them because yeah. I think it's extremely difficult. Uh, I, um... I mean, I think I started smoking cigarettes at 13. The reason I, I mentioned cigarettes is because, um, so when, um, obviously part of the Hobart Cares Coalition, and I've said this in the other podcast, so when we started Hobart Cares Coalition, it was mm -hmm. to address the issues in the town with the opiates. And as we began to educate ourselves, we realized that, um, you know, you have to, in order to try to help fix the opiates, yep. you have to address addiction where it begins. Right. And so as we began to educate ourselves, we realized, oh, it actually starts like long before. Yeah. There's other factors, hereditary, yeah. right. cigarettes, marijuana, alcohol. Those are all things that like, I mean, at least all the kids in our neighborhood, you know, would start to do. Right. And, um, you know, so I'm always curious to know if people, when, when we began to learn those things, I'm always wondering if people have started with cigarettes. But uh, what they found is that... Um, the uh, eighty-four percent of kids don't smoke anymore. Um, oh really? Yeah, that's not you. That's not me. You're not me. part of that eighty-four percent. Also but not you a could kid. Be. <laughs> Plus, I'm you're not, not a kid, kid. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, yeah, so it's it's um, uh, I think like the education and and all those every time you turn on the TV and you see the commercial people missing stuff. Right. Those are powerful. No, let me ask you, does that have to do with, like, vaping as well? Well, no. I mean, I think... Because um, I feel like that's, like, taken over a lot of, like, the smoking. Yeah. Um, but... Well, I think to big, big tobacco, um, you know, they realize cigarettes are going by the wayside. Yeah. Let's come out with flavored yeah. uh, liquid tobacco. Right. And uh, and that's, that's huge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've talked to kids, and they're like, um, everybody jewels. Yeah. With the, with the vapes. Yeah. yeah. It's very popular in the schools. Yeah, it is. One of the little cartridges equals yeah. one pack of smokes. Yeah. Can you believe that? It's so crazy. And you do it like constantly. Right. And it's addictive. And so. It is. And it tastes nice. Yeah. Does it? It does. Oh, so you vape? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about vaping. No, I do, I, don't. <laughs> I do it when I'm around people that do yeah. it. I'll try this. I haven't like gotten up like the courage to buy one. Yeah. But. Yeah, don't. <laughs> Maybe we, that's that's the next on the agenda. Yeah, right. The cigarette. So, um, so um, all right. So now you started shooting. Yep. Um, at nineteen and a half. Yeah. So you know, like from there, like it's such a blur. Yeah. My life like took a turn like that I never saw coming. Yeah. You know, I like instantly you know went to like stealing from my family and like. You know, doing all these things like I never said I would do. And all right. of a sudden, like a year later, like my dad drive me down to my first detox. Yeah. You know, like that year had passed by and like there was really like nothing I wouldn't do like to get high. And yeah. like I'd hurt everyone in my, in my way. Like, you know, I dropped out of school. Like I lost a great job. Like all these other things, like just like to satisfy like my drug use. Yep. And um, like I remember like it was yesterday, like the day like my dad drove me down to, you know, Plymouth High Point. And, like, you know, like, with, like, tears in his eyes and, like, you know, all this pain. And, like, he was just, like, in this, like, he, like, almost felt, like, relieved that, like, I was, like, going into treatment. Yeah. And, like, I can remember, like, looking at him and being, like, you know, this is going to be it. You know, this isn't going to be my life. Like, I'm going to change. And, yeah. like, wholeheartedly, like, I believed you it. You wanted to. You know. Yeah. And, like, I truly believed it. And, like, I got into that detox and, like... I was scared and like I was with like people that were, you know, 10, 20, 30 years older than me that had been in like treatment like all these times yeah. and everything else. And I instantly, you know, didn't belong, 
you know, I started to feel like the effects of the withdrawal and mm -hmm. I started to, you know, obsess over the thought of getting high and like no longer like did I remember that pain and all that suffering that I had caused or the yeah. pain I had felt like walking through the door. But I couldn't wait to get out, you know. Yeah. And I got out and I wanted to stay sober. You know, I didn't want to live my life like in detoxes. I didn't want to live my life like in this fashion. Yeah. And I got out and like what did I do? Like I instantly got high. How long were you in High Point for? So I was in there for probably like six days. Oh, they yeah, wanted me to go to CSS. Yeah. I told them I would, you know, do like, I'd commute there. Yeah. You know, so you're I already, you're already making all the excuses. <laughs> you know, I'm telling my dad, yeah. you know, I can't stay there. You know, I'm the youngest one here. And yeah. as a father, you know, he wants like what's best. Right. You know, he's going to drive me to meetings and he's going to, you know, bring me to IOP and like, all these things that like, you know, our loved ones try to do for us, you know, in hopes that like, you know, it will help us, yeah. you know, and like if love, if anything that he had done, like could have kept me sober, like I never would have picked up drugs, right. you know, after I had, you know, hurt right. them for the first time. And it was, must have been like a lot of guilt and shame, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And because um, you're doing things that you would never ever do. Right. And to your family and everything. So, um, so now... You get out of high point, six days in, right yep. back using again. Right back. And, you know, I, I remember, like, I got high and um, thinking to myself, like, how did this just happen again? Yeah. You know, six days ago, I was, like, in the worst position in my life, you know, walking into the detox for the first time. You know, a year ago, I was in nursing school, and now I'm walking into a detox. Yeah. You know, and not as a nurse. Yep. You know, I'm walking in as a yeah. patient. Yeah, And, um, you know, I couldn't, like fathom the thought of not getting high you know I had to like overcome like that obsession you know yep. I had to use drugs because like I, I needed some relief yeah and you know I did you know and that went on and I continued to hurt my family and I continued to hurt like all the people I love and I would go into detox and I'd leave detox you know and I'd get how high right when I got out how many detox have I been to yeah. in my life yeah I'd probably say maybe like 25 plus maybe 30 so you've been in and out where yeah. have you gone? What's the longest you've stayed in detox? Oh, my. I've stayed. I've completed <clears throat> most detoxes. I was in Gosnell five times. I was yeah. in, you know, NORCAP probably 10. What are the 30-day uh, programs? So the detox is usually like four to six, five to seven. Yeah. No matter, depending upon like what well, protocol detox, you're on. that's the detox, right? That's the detox. And then you go into the program. <coughs> so, um, you know, from then from there, you know, after the first couple of times in detox and coming out of detox and like not staying sober, it was no longer like you can just go to detox. Yeah. It was you can no longer come home, you know. So then I went from, so like in 2008, I went into detox like once again, probably like maybe the third or fourth time in. Yep. And I went down the Cape and I went to Gosnold and um, like the fire department, the EAP helped me get in because my dad's a fireman. And yep. like, you know, they were so great and they were so wonderful. And, you know, at that time, Gosnold had had the holding, you know, which eventually like burnt down. But yep. so my parents were like, you know, there's no chance of you coming home. You know, you need to go into further treatment. You know, and I was horrified, and I was mortified, and I was, you know, how could well, you, you do crushed, this to yeah. me? You like, don't love me. <laughs> you don't love yeah. me, you yeah. know. Like, this is, you know, of course, I'm going down to Cape Cod in the summertime. <clears throat> and it's funny, because, like, th so this was on July 4th. Yeah. So my father used to always say for years and years and years, you know, I always expected to spend the 4th of July down the Cape, but I didn't expect it to be driving you to Gosnold, yeah. you know? And, like, that was the extent to, like, that was, you know, the pain and stuff. Like, he wanted to go the, down the Cape to, like, watch the fireworks right. and have, you know, to a enjoy, cookout and all this yeah. other stuff. And, like, the only time he's going down to Falmouth is to bring his, you know, 21-year-old daughter to, to detox. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, so at that point, I went to the, you know, the holding, and I stayed at the holding, and I went to the Emerson House, and I stayed at the Emerson House. And, um, you know, I was down there for, like, a good three four months, you know. But, like, at that time... I, like, didn't want to listen, yep. you know. I kind of wanted to do things my way. You know, I was still very angry. I was, you know, entitled. It was all about me. Mm -hmm. You know, I had, you know, 20 days sober, so, like, my parents should be, you know, visiting me with, like, cottons of cigarettes and, like, new sneakers and yeah. all these different things that, you know, I feel like as though, like, for me, like, I had to go through to get to where I eventually got to. But, yeah. you know, it just stinks that it took so long. Yeah, you know? but you got there. So, yeah. So I went to the Emerson House, and I remember, like, you know, I finished the Emerson House, and, like, my parents were, like, so proud of me. Yeah. You know, they, you know, they would visit me every weekend, and they were, like, you know, thrilled at, like, the change that they had seen in me. That, And, 
it wasn't a big change, but yeah. I was no longer using drugs. And, um, you know, I got out and, like, my dad took me to Florida. And, like, mm -hmm. he was just so happy. And, like, that's all I ever wanted, like, was just to, like, just for me to be happy. Yeah. You know? And, you know, when I got back from Florida and, like, you know, down the Amazon house, I was eating a rotten. And I was, you know, doing all the things I shouldn't be doing. And yeah. I thought because it wasn't heroin that it wasn't a problem. Yeah. And it was. It was a huge problem. Yeah. Huge problem. So what ended up happening from, from that? So I, I went down to Florida and, I you know, I was eating Neurotin and, you know, deep down inside, like, I knew I was going to get high. It was just, yeah. like, a matter of time. And when I look back on it, like, I I can see it. Like, at the can time, I couldn't really see it. Yeah. So, like, I got back from Florida and I instantly, you know, I started getting high again. Did you always come back to the same group of people? Or did um, you? For the most part. I mean, it was sometimes it was someone I met down the Cape or... Yeah. Like I said, it maybe like my my brother, my you know, at the, you know, years ago it would be him. Yeah. Or, you know, it would be people that would co-sign like what I did and like want to do it with me. And you, you know? obviously make connections inside the um, right. treatment centers too. Right. You know. And it'd so. be like you pick up like like I used to think it was like so stupid when they'd say like you pick up right where you left off, but like yeah. it's so true. It is true. It's like it's so true. Yeah. You know, your life instantly falls apart within like thirty seconds. <coughs> I um. So I, I, alcohol, I drank for a good solid five years. And mm -hmm. then I had a good um, eight months of sobriety. And then I remember, for whatever reason, I started drinking. And I felt, I remember specifically feeling just a little bit of guilt that first night. And then I was just right back to where, you yeah. know, where I was before. And so it's amazing. Um, so uh, where'd you meet Liz? So, funny story. Yeah. <laughs> um, before the Emerson House. Yeah. So, before treatment, before any of that, you know, Liz was a wild child. Yeah. And um, one of my cousins, like, who is, like, one of our biggest supporters, kind of yeah. brought me and Liz together. Okay. And if she had known now <laughs> what she had known then, she probably wouldn't have. Yeah. Because, so, I met Liz, like, through basically, like, our love for drugs. Yeah. You know, no. so we started using together and we started using really hard together. And, you know, over the course of um, probably like eight, nine years, you know, we were robbing each other. We were hurting each other. We yeah. were pulling each other out of treatment. We were seeing I'm, each other in treatment. We I'm were... only laughing because she said the same thing. <laughs> so we would know. go, you know, she'd say, I'm, did you just, you know, yeah. all these things that, you know, you never mm. want to do to your friend right. ever. But the drugs just take control. Yeah, I mean, you know? you're, just, you're doing whatever yeah. you have to do to yeah. survive, to get the high and everything. Right. And so, um, so then who got um, who ended up getting uh, clean first? So you, I did. You did, okay. And so how, how'd that happen? You've right. already been through all these detox. You've been back and forth. Right, So, and that's just like, you know, the detox. Because <coughs> I went through like every halfway house in Massachusetts. Yeah. You know, I went through multiple sober houses. I tried maintenance drugs for... Yes, yep. and you know none of that stuff really worked. I had a child, and like I couldn't stay sober when my daughter was born. Yeah. You know, I put like my family through all this pain. You know, I lost my child like due to my drug use. Yep. You know, I, like very vividly remember my dad waking me up and like saying like you need to get out of our house. We're taking your daughter, and like you can live the life you want to live. Yeah. And you know, you think that's for a normal person like they would you know get up and do something about it. And for me, like, I used it as an excuse to continue to get high, like, yeah. the way I wanted to. And, you know, I love my daughter, and I say all the time, like, I would die for her, but, like, I just couldn't live for her. I couldn't put down drugs for her. Yeah. You know? And, That's uh, how powerful it is, isn't it? Oh, it's horrible. It was probably one of the most, like, hopeless moments in my entire life. Which just you know? kind of adds to that whole downward spiral. Yeah. You know? Right. People, I just, I, I, you know, I mean, I just... Would like people to understand the um, just that's how powerful this addiction is. Yeah, Liz said the same thing. Like she had her son, but that couldn't keep her clean. Right. You know, and so I can only imagine the hopelessness and the guilt and the shame that comes from because you know you want to, right? And you can't, mm -hmm. and it just continues to feed that addiction. So what was it? Um, what was what was it? What was the thing that clicked for you that so said, I'm my not... daughter got taken and um, you know I was homeless and I was in and out of treatment and you know every time I go into treatment like my parents would be there with her and they'd be so happy and like she'd be so happy and I'd be so happy but like the day would come and I'd leave and I'd get high again and I would you know be like hit with that 
shame and that guilt mm -hmm. of like, why do I keep doing this to myself? You know, right. I'm rid of my body of drugs and alcohol, but like my life isn't getting better. I'm not feeling better internally. Like I'm not feeling like what I should be feeling, like yeah. clean of drugs and alcohol. Right. You know, I didn't understand like the spiritual component of it. Yeah. You know, I thought it was just like physical, you know, the withdrawal symptoms, like maybe like the mental, you know, the mental part of it or the anxiety that comes with it. Or, yeah. You know, my life had, you know, been torn apart and ripped my life apart. You know, of course, I'm feeling some sort of, like, depression and right. all this other stuff. <clears throat> but, um, you know, I was homeless at North Station in October of 2014. And, you know, I my parents once again, like, took my daughter to Florida. And I knew, like, when the plane landed and at this point in my life, like, I had pushed everyone away. And, you know, no one wanted to speak to me and no one wanted to talk to me. And, you know, my mom had taken on the role as my daughter's mother, yep. you know, she taught her how to, you know, sleep at night, took her, potty trained her, took her to school, like, did all the things like a mom should do, you know, and she had to separate herself from me. And um, my dad was, like, wholeheartedly addicted to me. Mm -hmm. He couldn't bear the thought of, like, not answering the phone, you know. He couldn't bear the thought of, like, not listening to my voice to make sure I was okay. Right. So I called and he cried and, you know, he sent me money and like, he was like, this is it, Sarah, you know, like, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to live a good life with or without you. Yeah. And we're going to give your daughter a good life with or without you. And for the first time, like, I believed him. It was like no longer what they did for me. It's like what they stopped doing for me. Yeah. It kind of pushed me into a corner. So I went away and, um. They stopped enabling you? They stopped enabling That's me. That's hard. It's super, I can't As I'm even parent. imagine, you know. I know. <clears throat> and like long before that, they had stopped like financially enabling me. Yeah. You know, maybe like a little here and there, but like it was that emotional connection that I connect, like stayed with my dad. That when he kind of like severed it a little, yeah, I was kind of like backed into a corner. And um, he did. I went into treatment, and like I really didn't really want to get sober, but I kind of just was, you know, once again, like it, I was comfortable there. Yeah. So I went away, and I at this time I had gone to the Plymouth House and. You know, when I got there, like, I really didn't have much willingness, but, like, I did have, like, a little bit of faith. Yeah. You know, and that faith kind of drove my willingness to, like, believe a little bit. Where'd the faith come from? So I think the faith came, honestly, from my mother. Yeah. You know, she had been through so much in her life. She had been through so much uh, traumatic experiences mm -hmm. between my brother dying, my older brother drug use, my drug use, her mother's alcohol abuse, you know, her father's death. All these, like, things that had happened to her, yet she still had, like, this faith about her that like things were going to be okay yeah. you know like and I and I tried to hold on to that I remember like times I'd be so sick and I'd want to leave and I'd call her and I just you know I just want to pray with her you mm -hmm. know I, I I knew she had this way about her that her life was like okay despite all the things that she had been through wow. so you know I started to listen and I started to you know um I started to relate to what they were saying and I no longer felt like that hopeless case I no longer felt like that drug addict mother who couldn't stay sober for their for her child, you know. I no longer felt like that horrible daughter that mm -hmm. couldn't stop stealing from her parents or like yeah. putting them through pain. And um, you know, there I I learned so much, and like my life started to rebuild. You know, and it was painful, and it was amazing, and it was, you know, at times like very like like treacherous, like yeah. you know. But I held on, and I continued to like I continued to you know push through. Well, I'm saying you started to listen. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And I started to stop, like, <clears throat> taking control, like, myself. Yeah. Which was, like, super hard for me. As a drug addict, I want to do what's easy. I want to go, you know, I want to go to this halfway house because you can have your cell phone there. And I want to go to this one because I can yeah. go out right away and all these other things. And I started to do, like, what people before me would tell me it was right. right. You know, if you they used to say like you need to pray and like listen for your answers and I'm like I, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. They're like, well listen to the people that love you and know what's best <coughs> for you. So I said to do that. Yeah. After all those years <laughs> I said to listen to my mom yeah. and my dad, you know. Isn't that it? <laughs> so simple. So simple. <laughs> if we could just listen to our parents. Yep. Uh, yeah, maybe we wouldn't have to go through a lot of the things that we go through, you know. Um I always tell my boys sometimes, you know, they give me a lot of crap and everything. I'm always like, I'm not the bad guy, you know? Yeah. I said, I have the best intentions at heart for you. Yeah. You know, I, I've been around the block. I've seen a few things, yeah. you know, just Absolutely. Listen. So, but, I mean, that's life, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so you started to listen and things started to click. Yep, yeah, and, um, you know, I started to really, like, dive into this work and I started to... When you say work, what do you mean like work? So the 12 steps. The 12 steps, So okay. I was introduced to them, 
and instantly, you know, I felt as though I belonged. Yeah. I felt as though this was a solution to my life. It wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, drugs and alcohol weren't my problem. Right. They were my solution. And until I found like a different solution, which for me like was a spiritual solution. Yeah. Like I was going to continuously go back to drugs and alcohol, you know? Yeah. And things started to make sense and like all these things that I had done to the people I love and all these, you know, to my daughter, to all, you know, mm -hmm. like started to make sense. And I wasn't crazy and I wasn't hopeless, you know. I had this spiritual sickness and I needed to, you know, fill it like with all these like selfless acts and I needed yeah. to start righting my wrongs and I start, I needed to start praying and trusting in God and wholeheartedly trusting in God and like mm -hmm. developing a relationship with Him, you know. Right. And um like life got really good. Yeah. You know, I stayed there for four months and from there I went to the Howe House and I learned how to be an adult and I learned how to, you know, get a get well job and um, I developed relationships with women and I started to be reintegrated like into my daughter's life. Mm -hmm. You know, I, st I no longer thought like because I was her mom, like I deserved to be like her mom. Yeah. You know, I, I started to feel as though like I needed to fit like into my parents and my daughter's life. Right. It was no longer about me in the center of it. It was they had formed this life yep. and it was my place to, to find my way, way in. in. Yeah. And you know That's gotta be difficult. Oh it is. Yeah. To this day it's still difficult. Yeah. You know? But but you recognize that. That's huge. I do. And so you know, and as time goes on, as mm -hmm. you know now, how how long do you have So so I got sober, I stayed sober for two and a half years and like towards the end of the um you know, towards this, my daughter my youngest daughter was born in December two thousand sixteen and from that point on, like, I had stopped doing everything that was taught to me. After my daughter was born, she was a month old, and I picked up again. Yeah. So let's just stop right there real quick because... <laughs> it's a pretty <laughs> intense story. <laughs> it's... Well, I think it's interesting because I, I, I talk to a lot of people, um, you know, that relapse. They have a year or two years, or, or they have a good amount of time, mm -hmm. and they relapse, and um, it's always pretty much the same. Yep. I stopped doing the work. Yeah. I stopped doing the work. And uh, we talked about that in one of the podcasts with Kevin Rosario. Yeah. You know, Kevin. Self-care. Right. It's huge. It's huge. It literally, uh, you know, you go from your recovery has to become, I guess, your addiction. Exactly. You know, and it has to be worked on all the time. So what happened? So you stopped doing everything. I did. And little by little, right? And it wasn't just like overnight. It's no, just a little at a time, right? Right, exactly. And it was, you know, these resentments starting to build up. And I was no longer, you know, being like honest with the people around me. Yep. And, um, you know, I stopped praying as much. And I started to truly believe that, like, I was okay yeah. without this. And I could live my life, like, without this. Yeah. When in reality, like, I was going through so much. I had, you know, I was pregnant. You know, um, Derek, my baby's father you know he was struggling at the time and yep. like it was just a lot of a lot of different things and um you know I picked up and I instantly felt what like the big book had taught me yeah. you know I was never gonna stop like <coughs> once I start I'm not gonna stop and like yeah. if I try to stop like I'm not gonna stay stopped and all these things kept like flashing through my head yeah but the positive thing about it was like I had felt that relief like through the 12 steps yeah that I knew there was a way out so you yeah so I got like, I went back into the Brook Retreat, which is, like, in Weymouth. It was close to my house. I had a newborn baby. You know, they took me through the book again. I sat, mm -hmm. I wrote another four-step. And I really got back to, like, the roots of, like, where, what I had learned, like, at the Plymouth House. Yeah. You know, I, they, you know, helped me, like, still be a mom, like, to my baby, still not separate so much from my older daughter, but, like, be able to, you know, do this work. Yeah. With my, of course, with my parents as, like, those staunchest, like, supporters that yeah. now have a three-month-old baby yeah. that they're taking care of yeah. while I'm getting well again. <coughs> um, how long did you relapse for? So I relapsed for about um, probably like five weeks, maybe four or five weeks. Yeah. And it was it was more painful than the 10 years of using yeah, I'm before sure. I got sober. I'm sure because you have so much time in between, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's like... No relief anymore. Yeah. It, it was There was not one bit of fun. There was And yeah. there was nothing like... You know, I wasn't homeless. I didn't have no, and I, I had money. I had yeah. a car. I had all these things, and it was more painful than the ten years of using. Using. Yeah, that five weeks. Yeah. Well, you know, you you're lucky because you you recognize the good that you oh, did yeah. in the two years prior. Right. And so to be able to jump back into it, and I think that's good for people to know. Like, there's always that opportunity, no right. matter what. Because I'm five weeks, right? I mean, physically, mentally, 
it was hell, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, the worst. Yeah, and it could have easily just continued. Oh, absolutely. In in yeah. So it's um, wow, that's good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad because you're here. Yeah. So um, so now um, it's not easy, right? It's, it's like not. just when you get clean and sober, it's life's still not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's manageable. It's absolutely manageable. And obviously we know you have a, a very um, a connection into a higher power. Uh -huh. So how do you uh, fix that? How do you, how do you maintain that? Which, so, you what know, do you do? this time, like when I had a relapse, like, you know, I had to look at it as like a blessing. Yeah. I had to look at it as, you know, what like not to do. And I had tried like not doing this work, yeah. you know, and it brought me right back. Yep. You know, so I looked at it as a lesson and like in this time, this time around, like, you know, I constantly try to like build my spiritual connection with God. Mm -hmm. You know, I read these books and I, you know, I'm hopefully going to that thing that we had talked about, the yeah. Casio and all these other things that. Hopefully? No, I think you are, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I continue to like work with other women and, you know, on a daily basis, like I just <clears> try to like be the best, you know, person I can possibly be. Yeah. You know, and, and that's like with God's guidance. You know, I no longer, you know rely like on myself even like when I had those two years of sobriety you know I stopped like looking I said I took back like my own will yeah you know and it's no longer that he was like you know taking the wheel it was Sarah was you know trying to like control her life and like yeah. I know that that just doesn't work for me you know yeah. so now like you know I, I explore like my spirituality and like you know I I really try to like devote my life to you know like bettering like the people around me. Yeah. You know, so. So do you do meetings? Do you go to? I do, I do. And, um, you know, I sponsor women and I take them through the book. And, you know, I have a home group and um, I just currently got a job at um, Northeast Addiction Treatment Center. Oh, yeah. You know, so. Um, Took a tour through there. Yeah. Pat was on not yeah. too long ago. Pat's did you watch that friend. podcast? Yeah, I did. He did. It was good, he, right? Yeah, he's a good so, guy. Yeah, that's great. So, um, you know, I'm doing all these things and, you know, every night, like, I just go to bed in hopes that, like, you know, I did God's will for me. Yeah. You know, for, I did God's will today, yep. you know, and I just, and because of that, like, I've been able to be like an absolute, I've been able to be like a present mother to my children. Yep. You know, I've been able to be there for my parents and like, you know, I just had a loss in the family, I'm there for my family. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, and your family obviously has been very forgiving. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Beyond belief. I think, um, I think that's most families. You know, even though, like, people do crazy stuff to feed the addiction and stuff, most, most families, I think, are very forgiving if yeah. people are serious about yeah. their recovery and Absolutely. they want to do the right thing. So you are very fortunate because um, I think there are a lot of people out there that don't have good families. As no. a matter of fact, the addiction began with probably, the family. And with the family, right. and so they don't have place to go back to. What are you going to be doing at Northeast Addiction? So I'm doing, like, um, like admissions-type work yeah. right now. And it's just a great... It's just a great way to like get in the door and to like help all aspects. You know, yeah. I'm still gonna do the meetings and you know take women through the big book and all mm -hmm. these other things. But, you know, I've always like, I want. I started off like wanting to go to school for nursing and whatnot, yeah. and I'm hoping like eventually to get back into that. Yeah. But like just like to be some sort of like help and like I've been on the other side of that phone. Right. Hundreds of times. Yep. You know, like when I listen to when I listen to phone calls, like. I, I can hear myself and these people. Yeah. You know, and to be able to like direct them and help them and give them like the best level of care, like it's huge. Yeah. Because I didn't know a lot of anything. I didn't know anything. My parents didn't know anything, yeah. you know. But But now now we do. Mm -hmm. Slowly but surely. <laughs> Unfortunately <Yeah>. we know. <laughs> yeah. Um anything you wanna um let the um people know? Um as far as you know, if uh Family members uh, is struggling. Is there anything like I don't know? Um, any wisdom you could share? Like, um, so <laughs> I know, like for me as a drug addict, I never wanted to hear this. But yeah. you know, I, I speak it like at a lot of like learn to cope and family restored meetings, yeah. and I do like I try to like do a lot of outreach with parents because those are the people that were like there for my parents. Yeah, you know. So you know. For family members and loved ones, like we were talking about, like separating yourself yeah. is ex extremely hard as it is. It's probably like one of the most like important things. I know. It's, it, it's I can't imagine because I, I have two daughters yeah. and I can't. But like I can honestly say like 
my parents have been like one of the most crucial parts of my sobriety and like yeah. everything that they did like lined up to where I am now. Right. And like I'm reading this like great book. Yep. What's and, the name um, of the book? Breathing Underwater. Breathing Underwater. <laughs> I talk about it literally every time I talk. <laughs> How many times have you read it? L probably like seven. I was <laughs> seven just reading times. it in the car. But <laughs> That's funny. It's it, it really like dives into that like fact of like when you hit this low in life, like yeah. you can only like excel like into this like spiritual greatness. You know right. what I mean? It talks about, you know, really like recognizing like your demon in order to like you know, exercise it. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you can't, like, have an exorcism if you don't recognize, like, there's a demon there. Right. You know? And from that point on, like, you could turn your life around. Right. But, um... We all you know, have our demons. Yeah. You know? But where? there's so much help out there, like, for people, and, like, everyone's dying. Like, there's so much, like, pain and so much suffering in, like, children without parents and parents without children and siblings and friends and all these other, like, and all these loved ones that, like, reach out because, like, you are worth it and, like, things can get better and, like, right. just keep trying. Like, don't give up because you never know, like, when it will be, like, that that time. Yeah that like your life will change like Listen. and it will change yeah. you know like i get the goosebumps thinking about it cuz like i was <laughs> like that hopeless drug addict right and you know you're never out of the woods you always have to as as uh, we're saying maintain your self care it has to be you have to take care of yourself first before you really take care of anybody and i, I, I as i was saying earlier when i talked to people and they relapsed you know a lot of them have focus on so many other people trying to help them yeah and they forget about themselves. Yep. And so I think it's important to continue to work on yourself, keep yourself clean and sober, whatever it may be, 12-step program or whatever it is that's, that's keeping you connected. But I think the spiritual uh, sickness, I've, I've heard many people in recovery yeah. refer to that it's a spiritual sickness. Yeah. And, um, and people will always say like, you know, once that clicked or they made a connection or whatever it was, it really, that was kind of a turning point. And so yeah. if you're out there struggling, if you're out there, um, um, listen and try to connect into um, some type of a spirituality in the programs. I know a lot of the 12-step programs right. um, deal with, with that and, uh, or read that book, uh, Breathing Underwater. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff, right? It is good. Yeah, so um, so family's good. Your girls Family are good. Family is great. My yeah. children are great. Yeah. Yep. And uh, obviously thrilled to have their mom. They are thrilled. Yeah. So thrilled. Um, I'm thrilled to be there. Yeah. To be able to be a part of their lives. And the, the pictures have been uh, rolling um, um, behind us, so people can see that. Um, is your um, is your uh, uh, program? Where is it based out of your uh, meetings? So um, I go to meetings usually in Quincy. In Quincy. So that's where my home group's based out of. And I, I currently live in Whitman. Okay. So like I built a network out there. So I, I do, you know, and I and I venture out and I speak at a lot of different places yep. all over Massachusetts, you know. But um, Quincy is like where I, I That's I, your I routine to. you go yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good group. Yeah, great group. Yeah. So if somebody was looking maybe to get into a group, yes, Quincy would be the place Quincy to go. Quincy would be the place. Many meetings every night. Yeah. I mean, there's meetings everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. everywhere you go, there's meetings. So uh, we're going to uh, wrap up this uh, podcast. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on and Thank sharing you your story. Me. It was awesome. Uh, I know I'm a better person for knowing you and, uh, you know, you. <laughs> and Liz. And so... Um, um, this actually, Rock Bottom to Recovery, is kind of a, um, a spinoff from the Holbrook Cares Coalition, which we started in Holbrook. And we meet at the, um, the first Tuesday of every month up at the town hall from uh, 7 to um, 9 p.m. And you come up there. We have resources. We always have speakers like Sarah and other people. We have um, um, recovery houses that come in. There's just a, a wealth of um, resources for family members. Um, to, to tap into um, and then uh, let's see there was something else I wanted to mention and I'm drawing a blank now help me out you can't because you have no idea <laughs> um, oh I guess that'll be it um, so the Hobart Cares uh, first Tuesday of every month you can uh, send me a message on Rock Bottom to Recovery uh, Facebook page and uh, you can listen to us on Podbean and iTunes you can also uh, go to the Hobart Cares Coalition Facebook page. You can send them messages. I know we're always 
updating the detox list. It's also uh, a place for resources to tap into. Uh, but if you just have a question, reach out to us. So next Wednesday, we'll be back here in our new location. Uh, our guest, August 8th, Wednesday, about 4.30, uh, will be the Boston Bulldogs Running Club. Um, I ran into this group um, at the uh, Beanstalk Music Festival. Oh, did you? Yeah, uh, and it's cool. They're a, um, uh, they're a nonprofit club established to provide an anonymous and safe community of support for all those adversely affected by addiction. Um, and those in recovery, their families and friends, and the clinical community and the community at large. Um, they run. They run everywhere. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's so much more. It's like um, I was talking to Mike. He, they call him uh, Coach uh, Mike. He's, I think Mike's coming in next week. I'm not sure who's coming in, but they're coming in. They're going to talk about how, um, you know, they, same thing, uh, addiction and how they ended up getting to this uh, particular group. So they, um, he says, uh, so just a couple of inf uh, information. History dating back to 2008 when the club was established. Um, as the Hope Found Bulldogs at the Shattuck Hospital shelter. Oh, man, the Shattuck's been around forever. Oh, yeah. um, the club was adopted by Pine Street Inn in 2012 to provide members with the opportunity to participate in a positive social and wellness program supporting their recovery. So um, they run. Um, now the Boston Bulldog Running Club has been reinvented as an independent entity to offer support to those battling all forms of addiction, as well as their friends, their families, supporters across greater Boston. Um, they meet up and they go for runs. And if you wanted to run the marathon and everything, they get you a coach. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's really kind of really cool. Great. So I'm looking forward to having them come in and talk about what they do. And then August 15th, I have Uncle Kevin Farrell. That is my <laughs> uncle. I'm very excited about that. He's going to come in. He's been a part of a 12-step program for a, a, as long as I can remember. Um, but um, so he's going to come in. He's going to talk about uh, back in his drinking days. Uh, so I'm very excited to have him come in because <laughs> uh, he's just a wealth of uh, knowledge when it comes to the 12-step program. Um, and they do a lot of work, too. You know, as you know, people in recovery, when they're in recovery, they like to kind of give back and help other people because they get it and they understand. Yeah. So um, he, he does a lot of work in that, too. So. Uncle Kevin Farrell. Um, he Uncle will be Farrell. here August 15th, and we'll talk to him. And that's it. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, check us out. Check out our past episodes. We've got a lot of really cool guest speakers. And uh, let us know what you think. So with that, have a great day. Be safe. See ya.